have to tell Lauren's story to be able to say to young men, women and mums and dads and family, there is recovery, that it's not doom and gloom and everything's lost. It isn't, because what there is available now wasn't available 13 years ago. Hello, you're very welcome to the Parentline podcast. I'm your host, Kerry McLean. I'm a broadcaster, a Parentline ambassador, and I'm a mum of three. And this is the podcast where we talk all things parenting, both the joys and the challenges along the way, wherever you are on your parenting journey. Did you know that one in four people with eating disorders are men? So that's a quarter of all people with eating disorders are men. I have to say... When I heard that fact, I was pretty shocked because I had assumed, as I'm guessing a lot of people will be on hearing that statistic, that the number of women would have been far and away above that of men. And it's not. Now, I only discovered that fact because this week, as we're recording, is Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And this year it is focusing in on eating disorders in men. And joining me to talk about this incredibly important issue today is Pam Nugent, co-founder of the Lawrence Trust Charity. Pam, so lovely to have you with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for coming and having a chat with us because you have done such a lot of work with young men here in Northern Ireland around this issue. And all of this comes from such an incredibly personal place for you, doesn't it? It does, yes, it does. First of all, what you've said, one in four men, I'm not, I'm not surprised. And actually, I would say there will be more. There's more than that, but they don't present to uh, get the support that they really need. And then you could add in another factor of men who 20 years ago had an eating disorder, and those men are nice in their, say, 40s and 60s and they still have an eating disorder because we have that experience of engaging with a couple of uh, men who are in their 40s and 50s and still have an eating disorder. So I'm not surprised at those figures. Uh, see, for, for somebody like me, from somebody coming at it, you know, without any experience or any great knowledge in this field, you know, I had always assumed, probably because that's what we hear in the media, we hear about young women who are dealing with eating disorders. We don't get that same information or that same story coming through about men in, a, in any great way. And I wonder, like you say, is that because men, as we know, aren't great about opening up, about sharing thoughts and feelings and worries and woes? The only thing I, I can align this conversation with my experience with my son and Lawrence was a very proud young man and he was about 18 when we started to notice him losing an awful lot of weight and he felt shameful that he wasn't able to cope with life. Now, the, I always talk to people and say the advertisement that you see of the man, the re, there's an advertisement on the TV at the moment, the man getting out of the work van and saying, see you tomorrow, boys, I'm grand. And then the caption saying, you know, I, ca I can't cope with this. That's exactly right. That's exactly what men feel with eating disorders. That's what Lawrence felt. To his mates, he was the, the clown and he was the best fun. But underneath it all, he was screaming. He was screaming. He couldn't cope with the stress of everyday living. When he passed away, one of his closest friends said to my older son, why did he not talk to me? And that says it all. 
Why did he not talk? He couldn't talk because he was he felt the stigma of mental health and felt the shame of it. And he worked in a mental health setting as a care assistant. So every single day he saw men who were suicidal, men who were like himself. And I would imagine that that made it 10 times worse that he definitely wasn't going to tell anybody that he was actually feeling like they felt. So there's part of your problem of men not opening up. No, they they feel it's too, because they've been taught all of their life. You have to be a man. You have to be a man. You have to cope. You can't uh, show, no, you can't cry. You know, you have to be a man. And that starts in primary school. Up there, they rub your knee and go on. You're fine. They're not fine. Don't be crying. Yeah. yeah. Don't be crying. That's what Don't they're be crying. Not everybody's fine and not everybody can deal with that. Not everybody's strong-willed and strong-minded. And one of the things I would say, Carrie, before we go on, see people who have an eating disorder, men and women, they are more sensitive to this world than some of us. But it's their coping strategy is their issue. They can't find a way of coping with that sensitivity. You say, Pam, that he was, did you say 16 whenever he started? I would say Lawrence was about 18 when he started to show signs. But actually, Lawrence was about 11 years of age when he started to regurgitate his food. And our Lawrence loved his food. And we used to think, oh, he's just ate too much. But actually, I would say Lawrence was being sick. So as you know, in children, children can have an eating disorder from eight years of age. And you would ask yourself again, why would a child at eight years of age who, in want of a a better way of describing it, lives in fairyland and wonderland and finds life so wonderful and marvellous, but yet there are some kids, as I said to you, who are born emotionally intelligent, born sensitive. They are the children who are not living in fairyland and not um, finding life you know, great and worry about what people think of them, even in primary school, their peers worrying about their peers, what they think of them. And and mommy and daddy want me to do well and I'm going to let them down and I'll not be able to do this, this and this and I'll not be able to get these grades. And that carries right the way through to their teenage years. And when they become 18, 19, 20 at university, they can't cope with the stress. And what do they do? Just like a person who's an alcoholic. They turn to something and they use that. That triggers that coping strategy and the cogs start to play in their head and everything is a disaster and everything's bigger, larger than life. And it goes on. And for parents who are listening to this podcast today, I guess one of the things that would be in their head, it certainly is in my head thinking about this is, you know, you're saying about he was presenting with, you now know, like signs from the age of 11. I don't even know that I would know what to look out for or I don't know that I would see anything other than, oh, this is normal. You know, you know what I mean, Pam? Like how, mm-hmm. how I'm sure you must have parents coming to you all the time saying, I just didn't see anything. I just didn't see anything there. Nor did we. We didn't either. And when I look back now on reflection and with having engaged now with people who run eating disorder groups and people who have recovered and are able to deliver workshops, I noticed that Lawrence always was worried. He was the one always worried about what people thought of him. 
He had this sort of flippant attitude to school, yet he was an extremely intelligent young man. And um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm his mum. I worked in the school as school secretary and the principal actually told me that, that he was a very intelligent young man. But he, there's the attention span. He couldn't focus on, uh, it meant, you know, learning and uh, developing and wanting to do well. He wanted to do well, but he wanted it now, right now, this minute. There's the self-esteem because a person with an eating disorder has no self-esteem. They have no confidence. They suffer an awful lot of anxiety and they suffer stress. When he was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, that's what I started to see. And I realised as a wee boy at big school, as they call it, when he was 11, 12, I realised that no launch couldn't cope. And the problem we have in Northern Ireland is with a lot of GPs, they don't acknowledge it or they don't recognise it's a, a mental health issue. It's not about food. And I'm and I'm talking now directly to mums and dads, brothers and sisters. It is not about food. It's about their mental health, their stresses, their worries, their fears, their fear of letting people down, wanting to achieve, wanting to be the best. And that must be mega pressure on their sons and daughters' heads. You know, must be very hard. He was, Lawrence was a very athletic soul as well, wasn't he? He was. He played football from he was 10 years of age. And that's one of the things that Freddie Flintoff actually, when we did the interview, recognised and said to me, because um, we had a photograph up on the wall of Lawrence play, kicking the, you know, in a, in a ball kick. And he said, I see that Lawrence plays football. He said, and then we talked about him wanting to be the best. And he was a very good footballer, actually. And I said he stressed out an awful lot about winning, you know, the team. And my son Chris would have said Lawrence would have been the one who lost the head. You know what I mean? When the, the team was nearly telling them off, you're not doing this. And Freddie said he was exactly the same. That's exactly how he felt. He had to be the best. Because we should say Freddie Flintoff made a documentary about exactly this issue. And one of the people he spoke to for it was, was yourself. Yes, that's right. Freddie came to Carriedoff, where I used to live, and um, we shared a day of um, filming about eating disorders and a very nice lad, and that's what I saw him as. But unfortunately, whenever I asked him about if in 20 years' time, if he could fast forward, would he still have an eating disorder? And he said yes. So that told me everything I needed to know in my mind that he can't see any way out of it. And that's that's what a person, he summed Lawrence up because Lawrence was in denial. People with eating disorders, nothing wrong with me. Even though you can physically see the weight loss, and mind you, some people with bulimia don't lose weight. And you, but you can see the stress in their face. You can see the changes. Um, as a parent, I saw Lawrence became, for the want of another word, really paranoid, and very easily agitated, worried about everybody, worried about everything, and wanted to be, as I say, totally the best perfectionist. That's another trait in a person with an eating disorder. They are perfectionists. For example, Lawrence's hair, he used to call it the do. And he used to, when mummies all loved to rub their children's hair and loved, loved to rub their head. And it was, don't touch the do, mum. And when he went to get the hair cut, he would have come home after the barbers and cut it again. He was so perfectionate, had to be perfect. And I have, again, I've spoken to various people who have survived eating disorders and that's one of the things they say they are perfectionist at everything they do. So that's another trait. 
Whenever you realised what was going on, Pam, was that because you had put all of the clues together and figured it out? Or did Lawrence come and talk to you and say, actually, Mummy, this is going on? Lawrence, how we sort of caught on was Lawrence was starting to vomit. Every time he had his dinner, he'd get up at the table. And then he would have come back down and said, I'm starving. And we would have said, how can he be starving? He's just ate a full dinner. And eventually my husband sort of caught on that he's being sick and he would have been sick outside and he'd have been sick in the bathroom and there's stains in the toilet that you can see. And you're, but for us, we're dealing with an adult. So we're not dealing with a child of 14, 15. We're dealing with an adult. And he worked in a mental health setting. So he knew the score. He wanted help, but he didn't want us to take him to where he could get help. And again, it's because of the lack of confidence, the shame, that barrier, that stigma about eating disorders. And eventually, the saddest thing for us, it was a couple of months before he died and he was at home and he was very upset. And we had said to him, Lawrence, you have to tell us, son, what is it? And he said he had an eating disorder. And he said, I'm, I'm being sick every time I eat. And we knew that. And we said to him, we have known that, but we didn't know how to approach you. And we didn't know how to approach. And he cried very hard. And he cried in despair that he didn't want to be like this. He, he wanted to be like everybody else. He said to me, I just want one day where I am not sick. And I don't have to worry. And he got that one day, but it was the day that he died. Because he was out working with his pop. His daddy was a joiner and had his own business and he was out with him. And he came home and he said, do you know what, mum? I have been sick today. This is, And that was the first time in eight years, basically, that Lawrence wasn't sick. And then he passed away that evening. So he really wanted the support and the help. But again, it held him back. He felt too ashamed and he lost his confidence in in believing that he would get well and he would get better. Pam, my heart breaks for you whenever I hear that story. You know, I'm the mummy of a wee boy. Well, he's not a wee boy, six foot. But, you know, I think we always look at our boys. They're always our wee boys to us. Mm. You know, I'm just, oh, I I can't put myself in your shoes because I think it's too hard actually to to go there and to think what that must have been like for him to open up to you at that moment. I mean, I'm sure your first instinct was, I need to get him help. I need to to find something. I need to I need to find the answer, you know, and, and we know that yeah. there's no answer sometimes, but that as a mummy is your first response, isn't it? That's exactly right, because I've said to people, the first thing you want to do is fix it. You want to fix it as a mummy and a daddy, because daddies are very course, good as well. Of course. And Whenever he told me that, I said to him, son, you need to get help. He refused. He wouldn't. And sadly, Lawrence attempted to take his own life a couple of times. And one of the occasions um, he attempted to take his own life, we said to him, Lawrence, how would we ever live without you? We could never live without you. And he said to me and his daddy, I don't want to be here and I, at the time, because you're, you're not thinking of death, you see, you're not thinking of that. And I had said to him, 
when you tell me you don't want to be here, are you telling me you don't want to live with us? You know, like you're now, this was him, like 24 years of age and 23 years of age. And we said, like, we can we can help you get sorted out. And so he says, no, mum, I don't want to be here. So he felt this earth was too difficult. And it's taken me 13 years to understand that, to be honest with you, that he found life too difficult to live. But that doesn't mean that's the message for everybody because there is recovery and there is hope. I have to tell Lawrence a story to be able to say to young men, women and mums and dads and family, there is recovery because what there is available now wasn't available 13 years ago. But as I said to you, the GPs need a little bit more training and some more information and a greater understanding when someone comes to them and presents themselves with losing weight and feeling ill and feeling stressed. They have to remember two things. One is it's a mental health issue. And the second thing, it's taken major courage for that person to come to the doctor and admit they've got an eating disorder. We'll be back in just a minute after this short message from the ParentLine team. ParentLine NI is a free confidential service offering advice, support and guidance on any parenting matter. If you would like some support with any of the issues raised in today's podcast or any other parenting issue, please call the ParentLine team today on free phone 0808 8020 400 or check out our Facebook page for more information. Now... On with the show. As you say, Pam, there is more help out there now. Thankfully, thankfully, one of those places that people go to for help is the trust that you have set up, the Lawrence Trust Charity. And I wonder, what at what stage did you think I have to do this? Because that's an incredibly strong thing that you have done to go in and to, to set this up and to work with people and to try and disseminate inter, you know disseminate information and get help out there how did you make the step from a mummy who had lost her boy to to doing this what happened was whenever Lawrence was very ill and even though he went to work every day he was ill and I remember saying to my husband who, who's going to help us where do we go who do we talk to we'd been to the GP and they didn't understand and we thought, what are we going to do? And when Lawrence died, even though he died in 2009 and we didn't set the charity up to 2012, I remember thinking, I am going to never let people suffer the way we have suffered. I want them to understand this terrible illness, which you have to be honest and straight about it. It's a killer. It's 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 just the same as cancer and diabetes and all those major illnesses that people suffer, it is one of those. And I don't think that a lot of healthcare providers understand that. And that's the reason why we set the charity up. We actually just decided to start off with a website, which we have. We never thought in a million years it would evolve to media campaigns and uh, having an information line that families would contact us. And we also sponsor some workshops for people who deliver eating disorders to families and carers. And we, uh, the any donations we get, we pay for as best we can, the workshops when we can. And we're now part of the Eating Disorder Forum for Northern Ireland. 
and uh, I'm the chairperson of that at the minute. It is a group of uh, various core funded and non-core funded organisations. And I think what we did through the charity was we raised awareness and that was our aim to raise awareness of eating disorders and to let people know, yes, we had to tell Lawrence's story, but yes, there is hope and there is recovery. And I want parents and families listening to this podcast to realise that, that it's not doom and gloom and all that everything's lost. It isn't. There are some amazing organisations who I've uh, mentioned there that have great information. Now I'm looking at one of their leaflets called Coping with Change, Coping with Difficult Feelings at Seaton Sword Association, Northern Ireland. Lynx Counselling in Lurgan are running courses now called Freed, which is for parents and sufferers. And we have sponsored one of those courses. We're going to be doing it ourselves to learn more with the parents because my experience with Lawrence's eating disorder is very different to some other people because Lawrence didn't get the services. And so Lawrence never got weighed and never got bloods taken and never got an eating plan and all of that. He never got any of that. So it's I'm learning a lot of new things. And plus, as I say, we have targeted areas for eating disorders awareness week through our uh, Facebook and our Instagram and very kindly now the podcast. And we never thought that any of that would ever, ever happen. We're amazed, actually. I can remember us sitting in the BBC studios with Noel Thompson and Karen Patterson. And I remember saying to my son, Chris, would you ever believe it? we're sitting here and we're going to be doing this interview. Would you ever have believed this, that Lawrence's memory will never be forgotten? But people had thought that I had started the charity in memory of Lawrence. No, I didn't. I started the charity to help other parents and families who were in our position and did, don't know where to turn and don't know where to get help. Can I ask, have you seen a big uptake in the number of people who get in touch with you who are looking for help you know is it something that people are more open to coming and since things like Freddie Flintoff's documentary went out are people more willing to come and say look you know uh, this is going on either to me or to a member of my family or to my child in the last two years this might sound very little that we have had 22 families who have contacted us over the last two years and shared their stories with us and we have provided them with information. But for me, that's 22 families, too many. We shouldn't be even in existence because if there was the health providers support, and I'm talking about proper funding to fund research into eating disorders, why? Does it happen to fund uh, and how does greatly support, greater support for people? We then wouldn't need to be in existence because they would be doing the job. For us and for the other uh, voluntary organisations, we plug the gap. And yes, I would like to, I like to think that through our media campaign and the work we have done by raising awareness, yes, more people are coming forward and willing to come forward. Another part of our eating disorders, and I've never, ever shared this in public yet. It's maybe too soon in a way to share it, but I'm going to tell you about it is when Lawrence died on his death certificate was undetermined. And that really upset us. 
and we felt totally disrespected because, as my husband said, everybody dies of something. So us as a family and through a working group of the Nostradamus Forum are now going forward to seek the coroners to ask the pathologist to put on their checklist when somebody passes away that an eating disorder is a, can be an underlying cause. I never knew that that wasn't the case. I had just assumed, Pam, that that, that would have been the case. I have talked to some people who have already told us that they're the same, that's undetermined, and it's not undetermined. And we have saw his postmortem report, which was very, very hard to read, I can assure you. But I have said to myself, if this makes a change for families who want, not every family wants that, not every family wants that written down in a death certificate, but those that do, that that will be part of it, that they'll be able to show credibility sounds stupid because you see there's the shame factor mm-hmm. if you know what I mean and it should be credibility given to your sons and daughters who do pass away sadly with an eating disorder but who have been so brave and fought so hard to to understand and to survive and to live but yes so that's that's something that we are now looking at seriously as a charity to go forward do you think there are still a lot of people out there who don't quite get it, who just don't understand that that, like you say, that it's, it's you know, yes, of course, it's all wrapped up around food, but it's almost that that's a side thing. It's like, um, it's almost like a self-punishment thing, isn't it? Really above and beyond the food, you know, there's people who abuse alcohol, there's people who abuse drugs it's just another form of, of self-abuse, really, isn't it? it? Is. It's a different, just a different yeah. mode. It's a, it's a comfort blanket. Because alcoholics who drink, that's a comfort blanket for them. And a drug addict, that's a comfort blanket. They can, they can um, how would you say, self-willingly extinct themselves from the world. I don't have to cope with that world, so I'm in this world. One, one of the things I have on our leaflet is three words which were our we primary tiny school in Ballygown, our school motto, which was courage, courtesy and concern. And that I say is courage to take charge of your health and well-being. Men now need to empower themselves to open up and talk about their eating disorders and have the courage to realise that they are hurting themselves and they have so much to give in this world and don't give up. The other part is courtesy from the people who provide the right support. That the healthcare providers should realise that these people are suffering greatly and look at their own sons and daughters, would they want them to suffer? And concern should be from their families and friends and carers that they are concerned enough to get them help. Now, it is very hard with an adult. We find it very hard. And it wasn't until towards the end of Lawrence's life that we went privately to get Lawrence help. But actually his heart couldn't hold out, so it was too late. But he was starting to turn a corner that day. I told you he didn't vomit was the first time. And for those parents or carers who are listening today who do have huge concerns about the young people in their lives, What's the first step? What would you say? You know, look, this is this is the, the first thing I would tell you to go and do. What would it be, Pam? Well, the first thing is don't lose sight of your son or daughter. 
In other words, we saw only Lawrence and the Eating Disorder. We lost the sight of our son, who had great talents and skills and a wonderful personality. And every mum and dad will see that in their son or daughter. So don't lose sight of that. And don't become an eating disorder family, because we did. We actually knew when we bought food for Lawrence that he was going to vomit it. But we bought food for him, for example, on a Saturday. We had our shopping and by Monday there was nothing, but we weren't fed. Lawrence was fed. And we would ask them, parents need to get educated, they need to get informed and they need to have an understanding of eating disorders. So there's lots of information, our leaflets, the Lawrence Trust, understanding what anorexia is and what the signs and symptoms, bulimia, bigorexia is another one from muscle dysmorphia. You know, the Y-shaped, where men want to be the Y-shape. Yeah. And that's all they can see. And actually, when they are working out at the gym, which is another form, not now when I'm saying another form of um, distress, it's men I'm talking about who are obsessive with the gym, go seven days a week, every hour that God sends, and keep wanting to pump the iron, can't see that they actually are the Y-shape. That's muscle dysmorphia. They don't see it the way you and I would see it. And binge eating disorder, which is another forgotten one, that people who, and we all do it, we're emotional. We all binge and eat things we shouldn't eat. But there are people who binge a lot more than the normal person. So they need to understand Parents and carers need to understand, so does the person with an eating disorder, they need to understand the impact of what an eating disorder does to their bodies. Like, for example, Lawrence was always cold and he had lost a lot of weight, but he would have wore layers and layers of clothes to make and look at that he was all right. And he then became, he got insomnia, he couldn't sleep. And yes, he would have drank, but he wouldn't have, he would have binge drink like all young, a lot of young people do, but he would have vomited that out. So he kept drinking, you see, and, and the same with eating. He ate and he could have sat for three and four hours and he could have ate and vomited and vomited every time he ate. So you could be talking like 10 times a day, 15 times a day, 20 times a day. Lawrence would have been sick. So and another thing is repeatedly weighing themselves. So wanting, always checking their weight which is another sign and symptom of the eating disorder and poor blood circulation, their teeth. A person's teeth who has an eating disorder because they're, when they're vomiting, they're vomiting up all the acid. It's destroying their teeth. And they say that they get baby hair, you know, a baby down, that when a newborn baby is born, they get that again, which we noticed in Lawrence's hands. You know, like a wee newborn baby, that wee downy hair, that, that's another part of the impact of an eating disorder does to the body. And then you come to the mental health where they find it so hard to live. So all of those have a, a major impact on the body. And if you're noticing any of those and you're starting to think that maybe there is something there, I guess the first stop is always a GP. You have then, to. Yeah. And then after that, if you're not getting the answers, keep pushing. Contact somebody like yourselves. Contact Parentline. I'm sure yeah. we can point you in the right direction. Lifeline. Just keep pushing. Yeah. You have beat. 
UK who are absolutely brilliant and they have 24-7 helplines and they have helplines for young people, for people at university, you know, and for parents. So they are excellent. And you have Fight ED, the girl who delivers the workshops, Debbie Hard, has been in the news before and Debbie had an eating disorder and survived and recovered, became a therapist. So you have someone like her who is a therapist and will be able to give you the best of what she can give. And uh, yes, the Lawrence Trust and then as I say, the Eating Disorder Association where they have uh, groups now for men once a month. If, they go, if you go on to their website, if people go onto their website, they'll find the information they need because our website is an information website. And whenever I talk to parents and carers, I do have to tell them I'm not a therapist. I'm just a mummy with an experience. So we'll point and we'll give the website addresses. We'll give phone numbers as best as we can. It's all on our website. And another another one in the, the Eating Disorder Association have a great booklet out. And it is called Breaking the Cycle and Coping with Difficult Feelings and Being Positive. You know, when you're upset, look for thoughts that make you feel this way. Try to work out whether they're rational or irrational. And again, that's one of the things people with eating disorders, their thinking is irrational. So it's a very complex illness, but it should be treated the same as people, as I say, with cardiovascular disease, with diabetes, with MS, with heart disease. Those people need to be treated and given the same care and attention. And Pam, I'm guessing that a week like this Eating Disorder Awareness Week is so important to get those issues out there, to get people talking, not just to identify maybe if there are issues like that within their own family network, within their own kids, within the, the people around them, but also just, like you say, to make people start talking about those those bigger issues around eating disorders. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk. That's what they need to do. Families, mums and dads, if they can, or brothers and sisters, try to create a safe space where that person is going to divulge how they feel. And remember that when that person does that, they will feel vulnerable. They will feel they're weak. They are really telling you how they really feel and how difficult life is for them to cope with the simplest of things. Like, for example, going on holiday when Lawrence went on holiday by the time he got there, he was mega stressed. We didn't even know he was on antidepressants um, because they're secretive. Person, person with an eating disorder is very secretive. And my other son was with him because they were best friends and they had the same circle of friends. He says, Mum, he was totally tortured. He couldn't cope with the whole thing. Getting on the airplane, you and I would be jumping for joy and exciting. No, that's that's mega stress. So it's the family understanding the stresses and don't always focus on food. Don't, I, again, people with eating disorders have told me this, that their family's always focused on food. Everything was about food and why you're not eating. Don't need to do that. What you should be doing is saying, is everything all right? I'm here if you want to talk to me. I love you very much and I care for you. And if I can help you, let me help you. I so wish with all my heart when Lawrence passed away I and I met up and engaged, started to engage with these different organisations and learning about eating disorder, I thought, where were you when I needed you? You weren't there. But we are here now and the Lawrence Trust is here along with all these wonderful, amazing organisations to help people. 
Pam, thank you so much. It's a real honor to have a chat with you today. And my goodness, what incredible work you're doing with getting that information out there and being that bridge between people and the help that they they need for themselves or for the young men or young women in their families as well. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're so welcome. And thank you very much for allowing me to come in and do this. It's important. It absolutely is. Thanks for listening to the Parentline podcast. If you'd like access to the next episode as soon as it goes live, just click follow wherever you get your podcasts. At Parentline, we love supporting as many parents and carers as possible. So if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love you to consider sharing it with a friend, colleague or family member. Don't forget, if you would like support or guidance with any parenting issue, we're here for you on 0808 8020 400. Catch you on the next one.